You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you in further. You step forward little by little not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls calls you to enter in to deeper waters. Welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. <clears throat> I am Nick Peters, your host, speaking for me the best in Christian apologetics and scholarship. Now, if you're wondering where the, the episodes have gone from your podcast feed, are you missing something and things of that sort? No, you haven't missed. We haven't been able to have a show for the last two weeks. Uh, when David Marshall was hosted beyond, which we've already rescheduled, I unfortunately came down with flu. And then Mike Edens had to cancel on us, so I apologize for all the delays here. But today, uh, we're having an interesting show. I was hoping we'd have more here, but we don't. But I've got myself and my friend Dan Ventress here, and we're going to be talking about Asperger's and apologetics. Because April, here in America at least, is Autism Awareness Month. And as most of you listeners should know by now, I'm on the spectrum, as is my wife, Allie, and this is a subject we take very seriously. And so every show this month, we're going to be talking about Asperger's and apologetics somehow. So, Dan, as a, one who hasn't been on here before, would you care to tell the audience a bit about yourself? Uh, okay. I just, well, as you might tell from my accent, I'm not from America I am in the country that you celebrate independence from, uh, which is the UK. Um, yeah, I, I've got Asperger syndrome. I uh, was diagnosed when I was six, I think. That's, uh, yeah. And uh, oh, well, my parents were both Christians, and obviously I went to church. But it wasn't until later that I got interested in apologetics. Uh, my dad introduced me to J.P. Holding, whom uh, you, of course, know, Nick, mm-hmm. and uh, are familiar with, and then obviously discovered their people such as... Well, William A. Craig was the next discovery. I've discovered his work and writings, and obviously uh, his uh, debates and so on and so forth. And it kind of... My interest in apologetics kind of exploded from there, mm-hmm. really. I've got books by a number of people, including Gary Habermas and Mike Lycona. I've got mm-hmm. books sitting on my shelf. Good mm-hmm. books, too. Uh, yeah, and uh, education-wise, I completed a bachelor's degree in history, and last year I completed my master's degree in cultural history, both at the University of Chichester here in the UK, and uh, hoping to do a PhD in the future. Mm-hmm. Although currently I'm unemployed, and yeah, I don't have a lot of money, so I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to further my education whilst simultaneously having to deal with other economic woes. And then obviously my wife, my wife is still and I still are still you know not together together because of immigration laws. Obviously she's still in Texas and I'm still here. 
Yeah, when, <clears throat> for people who might not know you, when you say your wife and you are not together together, it's not because there's any kind of like marital problems between the two of us, because you married long distance and getting to spend time together can be very difficult. Yeah, obviously we've spent a lot of time together, despite the fact that, well, I think it's like something like 5,000 miles distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, she's doing fine though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you and I both, at the moment, we don't have places of employment as it is. Uh, do, do you think your Asperger's also has any effect on that? Yeah, I do. Even though we have, uh, not sure what it's like in the United States, but in the UK is supposed to be... Um, Discri- uh, well, obviously there's anti-discrimination laws in both countries, but over here it's this thing called the guaranteed interview. If you put down that you've got a, um, you have a disability, the employers are supposed to, they're supposed to guarantee you an automatic interview. But mm-hmm. I found that that's not the case, mm-hmm. and be- and, I, and now I found that when I just haven't mentioned that I've got Asperger's at all on my application, then they that's the times I usually get an interview somewhere yeah we don't have anything like that over here and my man also I have said that uh, April or over here in America is Autism Awareness Month do you have any corresponding month of awareness over in England or is, is it April there or do you just not have one I'm not sure I should probably know that though mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a number of, obviously, a large degree of autism awareness, whether or not we have a... I think we do. Mm-hmm. I think we do, and I think it's the same one. I think it might be international. Mm-hmm. But don't quote me on that. Okay. <laughs> uh, you've said it can be difficult to find employment. What makes it so hard for you on the spectrum? I guess it's... Uh, well, obviously, in the interview process, when you're actually sat down talking to them, mm. it's kind of like hard to obviously maintain eye contact and also sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, I, 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 I got turned down for a job a couple of months ago because they said it didn't sound like I knew what I was uh, enough about them. That's because I kept I was a bit nervous and so I kept fumbling my words and stopping mm-hmm. to think for better words they thought it's because I didn't I was struggling to remember what he did I assume but it's really because I was nervous yeah I think a part of it can be when we're on the spectrum and we're one on one and in person largely it's easy to feel intimidated in that situation in fact even feel like people are talking down to you necessarily Mm, sometimes I feel but other times it's like I don't know uh, it's mostly difficult difficulty with people you don't know because mm-hmm. uh, obviously uh, when we met in person in like I think it was 2012 we were fine because we, we already knew each other right but if it was just some random person just came up to you uh, I assume it's the same for you if some random person came up and started trying to talk to you you'd I'm, I'd be a bit weirded out. Uh, I'm, yeah. probably, I'm sure that you would be too. Uh, oh yes, and my my thinking immediately would be, okay, who are you? 
and what do you want? Yeah, because when we were, when I've seen uh, my wife and I, well, Kelly and I were in um, Georgia, it, uh, we were using the the subway, and then uh, there's this random woman started talking to us, and yeah, we did the both of us out. Mm. So I guess I was a bit, I don't know. See, obviously, I'm kind of fortunate in the UK when you're on sat on trains, it's generally not. People generally don't talk to you on public transport, mm-hmm. so that's one good thing, I suppose, <laughs> about living here. Now, your your wife is what we call neurotypical, though, right? No. No. I don't think so. Well, she hasn't been diagnosed, but mm-hmm. we think she might have it. Mhm. Well, that that could make sense. Or, although I suppose the uh, marriages that have uh, both persons have Asperger's, they can be extremely rare to come across. And you know, you might you might have a hard time finding someone else who's in just that same situation. You know. Mhm. <laughs> Which I, I say very facetiously. Uh, yes. When Allie and I were engaged, I still remember one time where I went over to see her at her parents' house, and we went downstairs and watched a movie called Mozart and the Whale together. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's a pretty interesting film, and it's about some people on the spectrum. And two of them fall in love and wind up getting married. And so after we saw it, I came upstairs and Mike and Dave were like, So what did you think of a movie? I thought it was unrealistic. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, you got a story. Two people with Asperger's falling in love and getting married. I mean, what are the odds of something like that happening? <laughs> yeah. Which they immediately recognized my sarcastic personality there. Yes. Uh, even if my wife doesn't have Asperger's, she does have uh, elements from the spectrum, such as uh, ADD and OCD. Yeah. Well, we're both massive nerds, and that's uh-huh. that's that, that, that's that's close enough. Yeah, I think usually most of us on the spectrum do tend to be nerds, mm. and uh, my own my own wife would tell you that when I first started communicating with her, and she saw my picture on Facebook, she thought. Oh my gosh, this is the quintessential nerd right here. <laughs> and at that time I was saying, I do not want to get into a relationship with another nerd. I'm fine with having him as a friend, but no, there is not going to be anything romantic here. Mm. That lasted maybe about a month or so. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, yeah. you, you also uh, said with an interview that eye contact was very difficult. That could be something hard for neurotypicals to understand. Yeah. By, by neurotypicals, of course, we mean people who do not have autism or Asperger's anyway. Why is eye contact so difficult? I guess I don't like people looking at my eyes, really. Mm-hmm. I usually wear sunglasses even when it's night time, and then people ask me why, and that's because I don't like people looking at my eyes. <laughs> It also it also makes you feel uncomfortable when you're because they te- you know you've got to look in someone's eyes but when they're looking at you back it's kind of a bit awkward mm-hmm. just makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I've found the same kind of thing going on that when I'm with people I can look in their eyes, but it requires a sustained effort on my part in order to do so. Now, 
Now maybe you're like me in this regards. The only exception to that is Allie. I can look into her eyes constantly, and I'm not going to have a problem. And, yeah. So. Yeah, it's, it's it's easier with people I know. Yeah. For example, you know, when I was doing my degrees, uh, my friends, you know, I could chat with them very casually and easily. Mm-hmm. That's just, again, well, with a job interview, it's hard because obviously you've never met them before usually. Mm-hmm. And so to look them in the eye. Yeah. And we can add in that social situation for us, period. They just mm. tend to be pressure cookers, and an interview is a very social situation. Indeed. And when you're talking about the people who come up to you and start random conversations, uh, I know I've encountered a number of people who are on a disc personality profile. They're very much I-type personalities, and they see they want to come up to you, start talking as loud as they can, maybe even give you a hug, things of that sort, and whenever I meet someone like this, I want to turn and run screaming immediately. Yeah, when I was at university, I one time I had this guy just sit down, I was eating my, my um, lunch or dinner, I think, and this guy just sits down and just starts talking to me, and he's like, hey, how are you? And I was just like, who are you? Mm-hmm. That was very awkward. I just was like, uh... And pretty much at that point, it's kind of giving like the, the one-word answer, deer caught in the headlights kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not that you're trying to be rude. It's just you end up being very curt and I'm like, you want to get out of there as fast as possible. So it's like, of course, I don't know, this guy, I guess, was just... I guess maybe he thought I was lonely because I was sat by myself. It just happened that I was eating dinner by myself just that one time. Mm. And then I guess he's, I don't know, it was was kind of odd. He was trying to strike up conversation with me and it's kind of, he was like in sports gear too, so I was like, I'm not really into sports really at all. And so it's kind of like, I don't want to be rude, but at the Mm. same time, I want to get out of here and run away and do something like read a book or or uh, play video games. Yeah. Yeah, I've uh, often made the joke with sports. I find it very helpful whenever we go to visit Mike and Debbie for Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever. Because so many times, especially on the holidays when down there, they'll turn on a football game together and I find it an extremely valuable time because for me, that's a great time for me to get out a book and just really start reading it a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, we even got invited to uh, see some friends for Super Bowl Sunday and I'm pretty much reading my book most of the whole time there because sports, it, 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 it doesn't make sense. It doesn't interest me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there was even one time when we were talking with someone. He was trying to talk about how good basketball is. I said, "Hey, I used to uh, when I lived at home with my folks, and I was in my room at night. I turned on basketball games at night." I said, "Well, see, where are you going?" I said, "Absolutely, I would. Nothing helped me get to sleep faster than that." Mm, maybe snooker. There's some pretty boring sports that uh, I don't know. My my dad used to watch. Um, Soccer is mm. what it's known as in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
don't know. I, 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 ironically, I think, uh, I, yeah, cricket's a good one to fall asleep to. <laughs> it's just mostly because those matches last days, and it's just a bunch of it's just dudes throwing balls and running. It's like, and usually it's the commentary is quite dull, so it, you know. It <laughs> yeah, but with what you were saying about being lonely, supposedly is that many of us on a spectrum think we can quite easily be loners. We don't really have to be around people. I mean, we're not necessarily opposed to being around people, but you place us by ourselves and we can be just fine. Yeah. Now, I know you were saying about how uh, if someone comes up to you randomly and starts talking about something, that can be very off-putting, but Suppose someone comes up and starts talking about something and it turns out to be something you're interested in, such as the latest video game or something about apologetics. Uh, do, does that change things? If they've started talking to me, then yeah, probably, because I'd actually be able to have a conversation with them mm-hmm. instead of not knowing what to say. Mm-hmm. Well, there's plenty of times where people are having conversations around me about stuff I know about, and I really want to jump in there with something but because I don't know any of them I, I don't I don't but if it mm-hmm. although uh, it's still kind of weird though I mean when that time when we were on the train in Georgia and then the woman comes up to us she was talking to us about uh, Dragon Con because we had our uh, convention passes on us mm-hmm. and she was trying to talk to us about it and yeah we were able to tell her about it but it's still kind of a bit weird uh, I find with <clears throat> topics you can talk about that, for instance, if I go to a new church sometimes, that I'm usually very, very hesitant to engage in a conversation with people. I mean, I'd like to, but usually if you start talking about what you know, if you're heavily into apologetics at a new church, people can very sadly make a distance from <laughs> you because they... Or, or they'll say something, dude, you are going over our heads, okay? And I me, mean, it's like this is a uh, this is basic stuff. We should we should all be knowing this. And when the conversation is too simplistic, yeah, it, it, I, I'm just sitting there and it's driving me crazy. I have to do something like play a game on my Kindle or something at that point. See, I'm fortunate. Quite a f- uh, the church I currently go to is quite a number of. Uh, Elderly people, and they happen, and they happen. To, I guess I'm not. This is just a generalization, but I find that older people tend to know more about various things. As one one guy who's studied history that I can usually have a decent conversation with. Mm-hmm. He's probably sixty or seventy. Uh, yeah, that that applies at New Church. Thing. As I've said on here several times, Allie and I do have a great church that we attend together now that I actually helped write some of the curriculum for. In fact, they're going to be having me teach a class on the historical Jesus, a four-week course that I offered to do before too long. So, yeah, now things are going well. In fact, I am a co-leader of a Sunday night apologetics group for men. So, yes, we get to have some good times, some good discussions now. Mm, Yeah, but when when you start off, people do get very anxious, and I think a lot of it is the idea of what you were talking about, that 
we sometimes sit back and think, I don't know what to say, and we have to have the perfect thing we think to say, or else we just can't say anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've also found this with interpersonal relationships as where uh, I have spent some time telling Allie this week when she's been struggling or something. I said, I hate to tell you this, but men like myself, we tend to be terrible comforters. That's not our specialty. And, you know, I love you. I want to comfort you when you're in pain and such. But I very rarely know what to say or how to handle it. It, it, It's just not the way my mind works. Mm. Oh, yeah. I don't usually know what to say in those, but I usually just settle for giving hugs and making tea. That usually works. But uh, other than that, I I usually don't know what to say. It it, it sounds like the Sheldon Cooper approach of offering a warm beverage to someone who's in pain. (laughs) Yeah. That's fortunate because my wife likes tea, which I guess is unusual for an American, but like it's, it's it's one of the things that I noticed. Yep. First, she likes Stargate and she likes drinking tea. Those are two things right there. Uh, Ari's not a tea drinker, but she knows I am, and she knows about uh, when last January when we were in New Orleans and I got to meet Tim McGrew, which she said upon seeing us, "This is one of the closest things I've seen to a bromance for you in a long time." <laughs> <laughs> we 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 found out we are both major tea drinkers, and I, I've still carried his saying with me that I gave of uh, that uh, that coffee was created by the devil to lead us away from tea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whenever I'm at the mall, and <clears throat> I'll go with a friend to a store, like say Tiavana over here, which is one of our biggest tea stores. In America, I'm not sure if you have them over there, but over here, they're paradise. And whenever I get close, heck, Allie can see it sometimes when we're walking, everything close, I start making the symbol of a cross over myself. Saying, yeah, I, I have to get myself properly blessed because I'm entering sacred ground. I, I've actually gone in before and asked them at the counter, I said, yeah, do you think I should take my shoes off before I come in or what? Mm. I've been to a tea parlor, actually. There's one in... San Antonio that we went to mm-hmm. and it, it, I walked in and it was just boxes of tea just lining the back hall mm-hmm. and it was just that brief moment of I think I've died and gone to heaven <laughs> oh yeah yeah the the, the, uh, the cases that I have like that have also been going into new bookstores for the first time and seeing mm-hmm. all the books there I, I know at one point I had to stop when I went into the mate, biggest used bookstore around here and saw the books first time. I had to stop and catch my breath before I could keep going on. Yeah. When, <laughs> I, when I first visited my wife, before we were married, she the first thing we did was to go to a half-price bookstore. And then she then I walk out with my arm full of books, and then she says to me, why did you buy so many books? You're not going to be able to fit it all in your luggage. And so I said, why did you take me to a bookstore if you didn't expect me to buy books? Mm-hmm. <sighs> One of the signs that my friends and I knew how, 
friends knew how serious things were between Allie and I was uh, she came to Charlotte when we were still just dating and not engaged for the apologetics conference and and before I get to that point she uh, she'd always been introduced at most places as Mike Lacona's daughter and I was working that day at the Christian Research Institute and so I didn't get to go to the conference immediately to see her, so she was there waiting for me for quite a bit. And there was this big luncheon kind of thing for the speakers and their families, and since she was family of the speakers, she got to be there. And like I said, she'd always been introduced as Mike Lacona's daughter, and Alex McFarden was introducing her, and this time he said, This is Nick Peters' girlfriend. And mm-hmm. she said, I like that title a whole lot more. But mm-hmm. when, I, when I got there and my friends saw me, these are my books, and you've seen I only bought about two or three. And I said, why did you buy so few? I said, well, I have to start saving my money now. I'm like, who, who are you, and what did you do with Nick here? Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah I often find myself spent... For my bachelor's degree, I went and bought about... Just for my dissertation, I ended up buying about 30 books. Uh-huh. Oh, that did set me back quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been very pleased since having a Kindle of it. I'll just go on, on Amazon, like, oh, free book, click, 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 and, oh, I, I, I'm just thrilled here. I mean, give me my Kindle, and I've got enough reading material to last me for a lifetime here. Mm. Now, something else you talked about with the interview is that people didn't think that you were remembering things. Well, usually I tend to find on the spectrum, well, m- most of us, we tend to have better memories than average. Yes. They thought us forgetting things uh, that I'd forgotten what struggling to remember because I kept, I was uh, struggling to put my thoughts into words mm-hmm. and I was trying to think, what should I say? And I guess to them they thought, be stopping to try and remember what it is we do because they asked me to describe what they did to obviously to ensure that I knew what it was they did and I thought I gave a pretty reasonable account <laughs> mm-hmm. but I guess they disagreed because mm-hmm. they didn't give me the job and that was one of the things they said to me I used to work at Walmart and sometimes I could absolutely stun people because I didn't really use the gun to stand to scan the barcodes, I consider that more of an annoyance, and I don't like technology doing some of the work for me that I'm supposed to do like that. And so I'd just go, I'd look at the item, and just pretty much glance at it, go back, type in the number, and people would say, did you memorize that number? Yeah. Yeah, I did. That's 11 digits long. Yes, it is. And some items that came through, uh, they came through so often, such as large cases of bottled water that I didn't want to have to go pick up. I had those numbers memorized, and people could point down and say, I- I've got this water down, don't worry, I've already topped it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's one thing that I was handy. I can remember my bank, my, there's a number on my bank card off by heart, and that's about 16 <laughs> dishes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got my credit card number memorized and my library card and I have to have my social security and Ari's social security as well. Ari didn't get the 
intellectual side of Asperger's. So, I have to handle all of that. And, I mean, I've had my interview with Mike on the show before. I've told him that I was that kind of student when I was in school, but I'd go to school and I'd do my work, come home, play video games all day, go back to school, get A's and pretty much everything. And he's like, yeah, I hated your kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty much me at university. I didn't really need to take much notes. I just remember everything. That mm. One of the exams, they gave us the... Qu- uh, <laughs> they gave you the question beforehand for... for <laughs> Some of them, the exams, they just give you, you'd have to, you'd find out the question on the day and just hope that you revised the right bits. Mm-hmm. But for some of them, they gave you the question before, like a week or two beforehand, and you had to come up with a essay, and you're not allowed to bring any notes in with you. And so I wrote down what, exactly what I was going to write and memorized the whole lot, and then I completed a three, a three hour exam, mind you, I completed it in half an hour. <coughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, when it comes to things like that, I I can't do notes either. If I start taking notes during a, a class or something, I'll get distracted. One math subject I had a hard time with in school was geometry. And I think the reason I had a hard time with it was the teacher made it mandatory to take notes and demonstrate that you were taking notes. And so she'd be saying something and I'd be writing it down and I, I couldn't seem to connect the two together and towards the end I thought forget this I'm just going to skip the notes and that's when I noticed I started doing better in the class because I was better able to focus at that point but if I have to write things down in the class no I'm not going to focus mm. and I, I'm thinking in fact <clears throat> right now that my in-laws have said it took them a little while to get used to me, but they can, they now know that if I'm over there and I'm visiting with them and I'm doing something like, say, playing on the 3DS or something of that sort, that they can still maintain a conversation with me and I can talk with them, and <clears throat> it's not that I'm not paying attention to them at all, I'm paying for attention, it's just that usually if my mind's not occupied, it's much, much harder to pay attention, and unfortunately, mm. just conversation alone isn't always enough to keep it occupied. I mean, even when I go to, say, like, the reasonable faith meetings that we have here, I, I bring something with me, such as <clears throat> my kinder and such, so I'm doing something at the same time, and just popping in something based on whatever I hear whenever I need to. Mm. Uh, I mean, I'm uh, for right now. I'm actually playing something on my Xbox with the sound off whilst talking to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I can relate to that when usually when I'm playing, un when I'm playing a game, I'm listening to the uh, unbelievable podcast at the exact same time. So I'm here. Yeah. I'm killing two birds with one stone, and I know what's going on in both of them. You know, I I, I reached one round. I'm ultimately trying to multitask more just because I'm going to engage my mind on different levels at once. Yeah, exactly. (sighs) As far as studying goes, I think you and I are pretty much the same in this one that we're both 
vociferous readers. We have to read everything that we can. Indeed. Yeah, I just finished reading uh, the the last book of a ten book fantasy series, and now I'm currently reading Demons by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Mm-hmm. Dostoevsky. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a good writer. Yeah, right now I'm reading mainly for my master's research, the uh, lives of Plutarch. Although when I get done reading some of the lives for day, I decide to reward myself by reading more material that I really want to read. Which right now it's uh, my friend Albert Micker and Henny came out recently with another ebook on his series of dealing with Christ mysticism, and then I've got this book here on language for God and patristic tradition that I'm going through at the same time. I've come to get more and more used to Kindle reading and especially if I'm driving by myself somewhere I can just plug in the Kindle and plug it into the tape deck and listen to whatever I'm reading while I'm driving alone. So yeah, once again just curing two birds at one stone or if we're helping at the church in the morning and I'm helping to set things up, I just bring my headset, turn on text-to-speech, and I'm still getting in that reading. Mm-hmm. When I've gone back to my Bible college a few times, I have had times where I, I've spoken to a professor, and, he's, and he, he told me, one time he talked about uh, me a student during the summer break, and I asked him, so what are you reading now? And the guy says, nothing. And I'm like, what, what, what are you talking about? That makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> yeah. So at that point, you should ask, oh, so you're reading a book called Nothing? No. <laughs> so what do you mean? No, you're not reading anything. Nothing. You're reading nothing. <laughs> uh, it, it really just makes no sense why you be a student somewhere and not wanting to build up your mind for a whole time. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of my experience in the UK is that a lot of students, they go to university because they get a student loan from the government and then they tend to spend all the money on alcohol. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I found hatchet when I was in Bible colleges, I'd often make the joke of yeah, I, I am a kind of student who complains about the, the professors giving me a list of all these books to read for class because all these books are keeping me away from all these other books that I'm wanting to read. <laughs> yeah. yeah the, the, the assigned reading is rarely as enjoyable as the necessary reading or the reading that you want to do. Yeah. I'll be honest, I didn't actually read any of the recommended reading well, I say that I did actually take them out, some of them out of the library when when I needed to. But for the most part, I didn't go out of my way to read all of the books in the recommended reading. I just looked at it and thought, okay, that's just a suggestion. I don't need to read this because <laughs> I've got all these other books that I can read instead. Yeah, <laughs> the- I I think ironically about being in seminary when I took my class on. Sin and Salvation of Our Doctrine of Soteriology. One of the books I was assigned to read, which I did read, was John Piper's book, The Future of Justification. 
which was, was a response to N.T. Wright. Now, I wasn't familiar with N.T. Wright's new views at the time, but I started going through John Piper's book, and the more I was reading it, and he was quoting what N.T. Wright was saying, I was saying, hmm, N.T. Wright's making a lot of sense here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and ended up going and buying, going to the library and getting N.T. Wright's justification, and going through it and thinking, you know, I really, really do see the point here. I think I could agree with this. So I could say, I want to be, yeah, if anyone ever asked if, uh, why I think that N.T. Wright's in the vital mess, I'm going to say, well, uh, John Piper really convinced me of that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I found that some of the, uh, just also not just reading books and having them quite, but just checking their bibliography. It's just like, it gives you like, oh, look, more books I need to go out and read. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that... Yeah, I think it was one of the advantages, for instance, when I read Case for Christ, that when Strobel does his work, he you automatically have several places you can go to to get more books on the topic. Because he, he's interviewed all these scholars, so now you know who the lead scholars are in the field, and you can go study them. Mm. I'm also thinking with a memorization thing that when we have our events on Sunday nights for men's group, we actually started off with Bible trivia for an hour. And it, it certainly turned into a, a sort of contest where everyone's trying to beat me at the game. Like this, mm-hmm. is, like, this is playing against an encyclopedia over here, okay? I mean, it, it, it's a real competition. And when uh, I was going to Bible, college the first time they had you get take an entry exam and this exam you weren't professionally graded for it was that's more of a curiosity thing they wanted to see how much you knew about the bible before you came in and it was a 50 question quiz and i took it and the, the, the quiz had been used for eight years and but when i got there the record that someone had got was 49 out of 50 correct. I was the first person to ace the whole thing. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so they, they give you a similar quiz at the end. I think, hmm, if I take this quiz and I miss a question, then does that mean Bible college has made me dumber? That. <laughs> <laughs> For people who want to respect them, it it seems I would say that this kind of memorization, anyways, it it just comes naturally for us. We just store information very, very well. Indeed. And then I think also the way that we tend to work through the information can be difficult. I. I find it quite amusing when I'm debating atheists on the internet and they're insisting that I'm obviously getting emotional. No, no, believe it or not, I am very unemotional about a lot of these topics. I I just have a strong reaction to ignorance when I see it, but reacting out of emotion, no, it's not really happening. Mm, Indeed. Yeah, I always get that one. It's like, oh, or my favourite is when you'll get someone who's who's uh, thinks they're like the bee's knees at any given subject, 
mm-hmm. and they'll make an argument. They'll come out at you with something that is just completely absurd, and they'll say it like they're holding like a a royal flush, mm-hmm. and then you kind of like, well, it, it's 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 like, well, it's like they they think it's a royal flush, but in reality, it's uh, a pair of twos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh. it's uh, it's just. I had one fellow who was in a debate with me, and he was insisting that he was right, and and he was bragging about how the fact that he he'd uh, had a degree, and then he kind of got a bit emotion. He got kind of annoyed with me when I pointed out that I had a master's. Uh, it kind of a pointless thing to bring up in a debate. I mean, obviously, if you if you've got qualifications, that t- usually means that you've spent some time studying, but it doesn't make you automatically right. Mm-hmm. But I just found that amusing that this guy was uh, getting emotional because, well, yeah. Yeah, that is, and that's becoming more and more common, unfortunately, in the age of the internet, where more and more people are using Google and Wikipedia in order to do all their research instead of going and picking up books, which I've, I've started asking a lot of these atheists I interact with, say, when was the last time you read a work of scholarship that disagreed with you? Uh, to this day, I've pretty much gotten crickets when I've asked that question. Yeah, that's a shame. Like, I've got quite a few. I've got. I've even got. A bo- I've got a book by um, Robert Price sat on my shelf. Yeah, it's my secret shame. <laughs> All right, so was it the empty two? Oh, I know. It's not just by Robert Price. It's actually a collection. It's their, I guess it's their answer to, um, I guess, my Dicona and etc. It's their compendium of uh, scholars, well I say scholars, some of them are, some of them I don't think even are, <laughs> I don't even think they're actually scholars in anything, but uh, their book on the resurrection, yeah. which is good for a laugh, if nothing else, but at least I read it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll say I started reading it because I got it on my Kindle, but it was one of those books I got for the first few chapters. And is this it? This is what mm. you call an argument. And I had so many other books to read that were so much better, but I lost track. And I, I do have another one of Prices. I haven't got started on it yet, but I've got it. Like I think it might be the Incredible Shrinking Son of Man. It's funny though. Oh yeah. I, I, see, I, as, as much as I as, as I'm depressed by the level of arguments, I can't help. I can't. I'm not like. I'm not. I don't know. He's, he's kind of like inoffensive almost. It's kind of like it's just some. It's just you can't help but like feel slightly amused at. I mean, some of the some of them though, it, it's more infuriating because, for example, Richard Carrier should know better. Yet he still counts these. Well, I'll I'll be I'll be blunt. In my opinion, blatant falsehoods, and it's like it's like, dude, you've got a PhD. <laughs> you know, it's like surely you know most of this isn't true. But with Robert Price, it kind of he's a bit. I don't know. He's a bit. You know, I don't know. He's, I don't know. If if you ever if you've ever had the misfortune of seeing the God who wasn't there, there's an interview with him, and you might see what I mean. Just the way he kind of speaks and conducts himself. He's kind of like most like he's a bit not entirely sure. That's my two cents on Robert Price, anyway. I haven't got to see him yet, but as for Carrier, Carrier fits the description, I think, of someone 
who you're talking about who thinks pretty much everything they say is the bee's knees on a topic. I remember going through his book, Sense and Goodness, about God, and he writes about cosmology, he writes about macroevolution, he writes about jurisprudence, he writes about history, he writes about aesthetics, he writes about politics, he writes about economics, he writes about morality, and I mean, sorry, but... I seriously doubt you are an expert in every single one of these issues. And I yeah, I, was, um, uh, well, I think it was Richard Carrier who literally said that he was uh, no. He, he he literally said that he was as good a philosopher, I think, as Aristotle or yes. someone. Yes, he did say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, it's like I think. See, I like to think of myself as being pretty knowledgeable, but I wouldn't just go around saying, "Yeah, I, I'm as good a scholar as Gary Habermas." Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm a scholar as Mike Lycona. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Like, I like pretty knowledgeable, but I'm not that knowledgeable. Yeah, I mean, I, I know both of those guys, as you know, and do I plan on getting to that level someday? Absolutely. Am I there yet? Absolutely not. I mean... Indeed. I mean, we can hear it and have good conversations with these guys, and we can talk on similar because when we speak, none of us are speaking about things totally unknown to the other, and we can all still learn from the other. I mean, I'm able to bring out some things to Mike that he hasn't come across yet, and he mm. definitely does that a lot for me, but heck, I'm nowhere going to you know, say, yeah, I can uh, defend things of a PhD level and do that kind of research just like Mike does. No, <laughs> no, not even close. Yeah, I mean, some, it's funny because I'm not sure if you've ever had this, but during debates, I'll get people accuse me of being arrogant. Oh yes, and yeah. I'll be the first person. See, I don't know. They'll be like, "Oh, you, you think you're so much better than me?" You th- and I thought, "Well, I don't think I'm better than you. I just think you're you're not. Your arguments just aren't that great, <laughs> or yeah. you're not as good as me, maybe." <laughs> yeah, the arrogance charge is a common one. And mm. what I tell people in response to that is, you know, here's what I do to keep arrogance in check. I have a wife. Yeah. She does not want an arrogant man. And if she sees me being arrogant, she would be more than happy to point out that I am being arrogant at that point. And so, yes, I prefer to stay on good terms with her, so I am going to avoid being arrogant. In fact, many times I'll ask her, do you think I was being too prideful? And, and I'll just as well say to her, and you know, pride, it, it is something I do struggle with, though, but I, I try to avoid it. And she says, yes, I know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That carrier I usually see as the kind of quintessential example of pride to yeah, avoid yeah. altogether. He does, yeah. He's very much in love with himself, it seems. Mm-hmm. In fact, when he came out with his announcement recently about him being polyamorous, I was going to think, dude, I feel very sorry for you because, well, you may have a PhD that I'd like to have someday. I do have something special. I've got a wife... I am committed to, and one who is committed to me, and mm-hmm. I hope I am never in your situation, man, because the last thing I would want to do is cheat on my wife. 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure if I ever cheated on Kelly, which I wouldn't, but let's say hypothetical, I get possessed by the devil, or I get hit in the head or something, and I did, and I'm pretty sure the next thing you'd find is that just the bits of me just scattered across like the world. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm not sure of that because I don't think we'd be able to recognize the bits at that point. Yeah, they're just mm, remains discovered. Identity as yet unknown. Yeah, what what I tell people is, you'd send a, a clip of something. Like if we're talking online, I'd send a clip of a Sephiroth supernova attack from Final Fantasy VII, which pretty much destroys nearly every planet in the solar system to make an attack and. And I'd say, I'd be lucky to get something like that if I cheated on Allie. Mm. That, that's something interesting to talk about on the spectrum as well. Since we're both married now, it's, I think it's not a coincidence that both of us, our relationships were largely done on the internet. Indeed. Is it just that the internet, it, it's much easier to communicate with people on the internet? Yes, and it's also the fact that it's much easier to find people with similar interests with mm-hmm. you. Um, yes, I was, uh, was going to say, because obviously Kelly and I were both uh, on um, members of uh, Theology Web. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, you are a member of, and I think that, and uh, Ali was as well. Yeah. Uh, that's a good place. I haven't been there recently, in, in recent years, though, because I've been busy with, uh, well, I've just recently completed my master's degree, mm-hmm. etc. But, yeah. yeah. Ali found the Yorgi web through me. I suggested she could join, because I figured it'd be good for her to be surrounded with other women that she could relate to better and then we have a great T-Web crash and since that crash is over I've returned to Fiyarji Web she hasn't had a chance to yet which which is fine it's not necessarily her thing but yes we, we all did meet each other and I find on the spectrum that the internet in many ways gives us a voice it, it's much harder to communicate in person, if you were told me about doing something like, say, door-to-door evangelism, well, that's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> the exception might be is if if I was able to go with other people, and these people were able to get the ball rolling and get a conversation started. Without me, it was just me observing. I could possibly do something like that and just chime in and help answer the questions and things of that sort. But to do cold turkey evangelism that would be terrifying mm. and so then when it comes to relating to the opposite sex generally if it's not online men like us we're expected to make the first move which pretty much is like exposing ourselves and leaving us out in the open to be vulnerable and that's something that's difficult for guys that are neurotypical, it's much, much harder for those of us who are on the spectrum. Indeed. Mm-hmm. But what was it like then when you were dating on the net at the time? I mean, how was it different from what most people would think about regular dating relationships and how was it the same? 
Uh, how's it the same? Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, well, we just talk to each other on Skype. Mm-hmm. We use Google Google Plus now because it's easier. Yeah, we're having problems with Skype for some reason. I don't know why. That was quite some time. Uh, obviously, hmm. I don't know. Well, other than the fact that we don't. I don't know. We just spend a lot of time talking to each other, basically. Mm-hmm. Then, obviously, when we're together, it's kind of just, you know... When we were in person, though, we just it's different from our regular relationship because we didn't feel the need to go out all the time. So, on quote dates, unquote. Uh, we we still do the dates regularly, and whenever I came, uh, we'd do some. It usually be things like going to a movie, sometimes we'd stop at a bookstore, we'd stop at a restaurant and get something to eat, but usually we'd be just fine of sitting at home on the couch, watching something together, mm. or playing a game together, or something of that sort. That was all it took for us. Yeah, Kelly and I, we like playing Minecraft a lot. Mm-hmm. That's a good one, because mm-hmm. it's on the PC, because she's a PC gamer, and I'm mostly console, but I have computer so we can both play Minecraft mm-hmm. it's difficult at first getting servers running but yeah mm-hmm. and how often did you all get to see each other while you were dating what in person uh, just uh, well just the one time really well I think one time we spent about I went over there for like uh, over to Texas for about about three months mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. that's how long we spent together whilst we were dating mm-hmm. as in person and then we got married the year after that and I think you spent like a week or so on a honeymoon together and then you had to go your separate ways yeah we got married the next year we spent about five weeks together we had a two week or one no it was going to be two week but then we got well then we kind of ran out we basically just spent a week in a motel just by ourselves mm-hmm. just not 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 going outside just you know just mm. yeah yeah when we got married we spent our week together for our honeymoon at a, a beach not too far from we got married a, a few hours or so away since we lived in North Carolina and I, I had arranged for that I was one <clears throat> better when I knew the time had come that I was going to propose I was looking at dates and I thought I'm a student I need something in the summer I know Fridays and Saturdays are traditional so let's go with one of those and then I saw this did be better there was a Sunday coming up where there was going to be a full moon I thought hmm full moon on the beach and I plan to take Ari to the beach I am not going to pass that up so (laughs) I arranged for us to be married the day before because we weren't going to drive out to the beach right after a wedding we were going to be staying in Charlotte her parents were nice enough to pay for a room for us to stay in and that's so nice they paid for a limo to take us there as well. 
I, I, I still remember with my best man, I was arranging things with him a few months beforehand. And I said, David, the, the morning of a wedding, I want you to pick me up because I'm going to park my car at the hotel. I want you to pick me up and take me to the church. It's like, you know, okay. And I don't think he seemed to understand. He said, yeah, well, geez, David, I figure you can either pick me up and take me to the car or else you could, I don't know, pick up a couple of honeymooners the next morning. And his eyes just got really big, and he said, "Yeah, I'll pick you up. I'll take, I'll pick, I'll take you to the hotel." <laughs> okay, <laughs> you did, did not want to pick up some honeymooners. Still there? Yeah. <laughs> now, when you were dating there. I'm guessing in the three month time that's when her parents got to meet you, right? Yeah. Did did they have any difficulties with you or did that work out well? Uh yeah, it worked out well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well I don't was a couple of times when Kelly and I would talk on the internet by webcam a couple of times like her parents she we talk I, I, her parents would be there and uh, I talked to them, and and a couple of times I had my mum on my webcam mm-hmm. so that Kelly could talk to her. Mm-hmm. And then Kelly's been uh, came over here to the UK uh, uh, last summer. That's just been, and so she obviously got to be meet more of my family. And then obviously both times I was there in San Antonio, I got to meet her family members as well. We all got along, so that's fine. Although, one of our sisters didn't like me at first. But then, I guess, we uh, we warm- she warmed to me, I guess. Because the first time I was there, she punched me in the back. Hmm. Quote, chewing too loudly, unquote. But now, now, we're, now we get on, so it's all good. Yeah, Ari's parents never really had much problem with me at all. In fact, they, they consider me a lifesaver uh, for the things I've done in Valley. I said, hey, I always, I always changed my life just as much, too. And when it came my time to propose, now, if I'm correct, you never, you and, I, you and uh, Carrie, you never really involved a direct proposal. The engagement just kind of happened, right? Uh no, she, she well yeah. She was she just asked me if I want if she, if she want if we if I wanted to get married and I was like yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty much it. Indeed. Well, over here when we got a when the time came beforehand, I called her parents and asked them if they were okay with me marrying Allie. So I'm, I'm always traditional, everything that I do. And they said yes, of course. In fact, they, they'd kind of been predicting it because a month before, her mother, in fact, gave me a stone to use in a wedding ring. In fact, when Allie... Uh, see, the Habermasses were over-visiting then when Allie and I started dating on Labor Day that year. And when Allie made the announcement, Gary's wife turned to Debbie and said summer wedding turns out 
she was right. And Gary was immediately giving Allie a hard time, though, because she'd told her mother years ago, said, Mom, when I get married, I am not going to make the same mistakes you made. I am going to marry a big, beefy, rancher-type guy with muscles. I'm going to marry someone who can fix things around the house. I am not going to marry a nerd, unless he's Japanese. I am not going to marry someone in ministry, unless he's a missionary Japan or a youth minister. And I will never date or marry an apologist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Way to go, babe. Way to go. (laughs) We much got every single one of those wrong. Mm. Before I continue this story, by the way, I want to let everyone know that this week it's Dan Ventress and I having a conversation about autism and apologetics in our lives and what it's like. But if you're listening next week, we're going to be having a mother of an autistic child on the show. That's going to be Sarah Ankerman, and she's in fact one of the women in apologetics, and quite skilled one at that. And her son has autism. So we're going to be talking about what it's like to be an apologist, and at the same time a mother of a child with uh, with autism. So be listening next week. For now, I've got Dan Ventress here, and we're talking about our lives with autism. Now, when it came time for the proposer, I have a story written up on my Facebook, if anyone wants to see it. But it, it was Christmas Eve, in fact, and I was living in Charlotte. I was in Atlanta, and my parents were in Tennessee. And I had told Allie I wanted her to spend Christmas with my family. I think I'd spent Thanksgiving with hers. And so, she flew in on Christmas Eve, and I got off at work at noon that day, and I went to pick her up. Her plane was supposed to arrive at 1.04. It got there at 12.48 at Schwartz, so she got off early, and I found her, and she went, and I took her to this statue outside of Queen Charlotte, which the city is named after, and it's a a fountain as well with a star-shaped pool around it, continually flowing. And I had the ring in my pocket in its box, and I was fumbling around in my pocket there because you want to make sure you open up the box the right way. If you're listening, guys, this is a tip to keep in mind when time comes. You don't want to open the box and have a ring come falling out. That would be very bad. Mm. But I was ready, and I had my line all set up. By the way, this is a line I had been practicing in front of her picture for a couple of months. And when I told Alex McFarlane at my seminary about it, he said, Nick, I always knew you were a theologian. I never knew you were such a romantic. But I had it ready, and so I gave the line and said, uh, So, um... Princess, which is what I call her, says, You ever thought about being a queen? And she said, Only if you're the king. Which what? Oh my gosh, that is a wonderful answer. Mm-hmm. And so I said, Well, I guess you've made this easy for me. And so that's when I got down on bended knee, popped up in that box, and said, Allie Lacona, will you marry me? And it was, as I tell people, such a pristine, beautiful 
moment. Only interrupted by my cell phone going off at that time. <laughs> we, we, I was saying, I'm not going to answer it now, and I didn't. But I thought it had to be Mom. Mom always caused me at the worst times, so... Yeah, definitely had to be. So later on when I checked, turns out I was half right. I had the wrong mother. It was her mother calling to let me know that Allie's plane had arrived early. Whereas she's always been worried though that I'd uh, end up making the story something embarrassing about her, which I I, I would hope that uh, my mother-in-law, Debbie Lacona, who called me when I was proposing to my current wife would know that I, I, I'm just not the kind of person to do that kind of thing. <laughs> and if you read the, the story on my Facebook notes section, yes, I, I mentioned her about four or five times and point that out because on the spectrum, uh, at least for me, I tend to be extremely sarcastic. Yeah. Uh, it's usually unusual. It's, un- yeah, it's unusual to... I get that a lot. I understand stuff like, not just sarcasm, but like uh, satire uh-huh. a lot more silly than even some of my neurotypical friends, which I always thought was kind of strange because, you know, most people on the spectrum tend to have a hard time with that. Uh-huh. I, I, I yeah. find that I, I am that way, but I have a hard time sometimes telling if someone is being sarcastic, but I have no trouble with being sarcastic myself. Uh, I, I consider it again like Sheldon Cooper. Sheldon can never tell if something is sarcasm or not, but he himself is extremely sarcastic. Indeed. Although in my case, I sometimes have, I I, I usually only have difficulty, it depends, if it's people I know well, I can usually, I, that's when I usually get it right. Mm-hmm. But I sometimes, uh, Kelly will make a joke and then I'll and I and I won't realise she's joking right away sometimes. Right. But that's mostly because of her style of humour. It's a bit. It's not what I'm used to. It, it's the same thing with Ali and with all your Skype conversations. I can say after we got engaged, there were many nights we stayed up to midnight or one a.m. talking on the phone to each other. We didn't use Skype. We just used a phone. And if you ask me. <laughs> what all we talked about in that time if you asked her what all we talked about in that time we have no clue whatsoever we can't really remember a single thing that was said but we stayed up and we had those conversations and one of the things that we did often ending out that's what that a friend I always had recommend we get Stormy O'Martian's books on the power of a praying husband and the power of a praying wife. And we asked each other, how can I pray for you at the end of the day? And that was something very important. And even to this day, uh, when we go to bed together, we tend to pray together every night before we go to bed. And this is just something that I really recommend people do more often, if you're in a Christian marriage, that it's important to solidify your relationship more and more this way. And part of the prayers we pray is that we'll just come to love each other more, to desire each other more, to break down any walls in our relationship, and that we'll each get closer to God as well.
Do you, do you and Kelly have anything like that? Or? Uh, uh, we always make uh, we always make sure we say good morning and good night to each other mm-hmm. on Google Chat. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if I go to sleep but we forget, then she'll she'll complain that I forgot. <laughs> yeah. uh, Could that be a bit? Difficult sometimes because I mean it's got to be at least a six or a seven hour difference between morning and evening for you two. Well, I well usually I can we can well yeah well not it's not difficult really because although sometimes she's woken me up telling me good night because mm-hmm. being asleep already I've said good night and then she's gotten home from work said okay good night and the noise of the notification has sometimes woken me up. Mm. I don't know. Usually, I usually wait for her to say good morning, and then I usually say good night first. Mm. Sometimes I forget because I don't. I tend to have sleeping problems. Mm. I'm not sure if you 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 have that, but I'm sure. yeah, I usually need to take melatonin to uh, get to sleep properly. Yeah, I I sometimes have to. Thing is, because I'm very often thinking so very much about things and sometimes I can think myself into a state of anxiety which is something my mother-in-law and I were talking about that Ali and I have different ways of, uh, of approaching problems that when she gets when she starts thinking a lot she leans towards depression and you when it comes to negative things you lean towards anxiety yeah I think that's true yes. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I tend, I tend to get anxiety. Yeah, but also depressed. I don't know. I'm a bit of both, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I tend to be somewhat melancholy, and usually on Saturday nights, since we have to get up early in the morning to help out our church, and I mean by early in the morning we have to get up at five fifteen to get there on time, which I'm convinced I'm going to find somewhere in my Bible that that's a sin someday. <laughs> I'll have justification for avoiding it but until then I have to and usually I'll take something at night because I'm used to going to bed around midnight or 1am or some that sort because late night's a great time for reading yes do you find in your relationship with Kelly or anyone else that relating itself can be difficult Relating, or you mean like relating to someone? Yes, in a more social atmosphere, be it just regular people, friends, family, and of course, spouse. Um, sometimes I find it—I don't know—I find it easy to relate to Kelly because because mm-hmm. uh, we have similar problems sometimes. Mm-hmm. Let's see, yeah, but uh. I don't know. I often find it's not so much. I don't. Know, it's not so much. It's hard to. It's not hard to empathize. Empathize, but it's like hard to express yourself, really, right. or in terms that they'll understand. Like, mm-hmm. it's like yeah. It's, it's like yeah. I understand what you. It's like if I was to say. It's like yeah. I understand what you're saying, but it's finding out a way to to tell them to let them know a you understand and b uh, it's gonna be okay, etc or whatever like whatever it is it's kind of like hard to cite pre- precise wording yeah. 
I, I think it's just hard to convey. Go on. It's hard to convey into ideas. It's, 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 I find it hard to. I'll, I'll have a thought in my head, and I'll find it hard to mm-hmm. sometimes to get the exact wording right, like mm-hmm. to convey it to someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. That's why we talk about with empathy. That for me, I can have intellectual awareness of a pain someone is going through, but a lot of times it's hard to feel that pain. It's not that I don't care, but the resulting emotion that most people, I think, have, it it doesn't always resonate for me. Yeah, sometimes I don't... I don't always feel the emotion sometimes, but it depends on... It it varies, I found, for, for me. And then, of course, for most of us on a spectrum, fine. And this is, it's probably typical for everyone, but I think it's hard on a spectrum. It's very hard to see things from the perspective of another person. It, it's incredibly difficult to get outside of what you yourself are seeing and experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. When we, we've talked about that, too, how do you think that affects you with church life and Christian walk in general? Hmm. Uh, not sure, really. Uh, I, well, I usually, sometimes I find it difficult to come up with things to pray for. Because mm-hmm. I'll be... I'll be like hard to put things and again it's not so much that I like you know oh, there's, pl- there's usually plenty of things to pray for but it's like I usually have difficulty like noting what to say mm-hmm I find on my end of the second that prayer is that's extremely difficult because you don't know what to say and you don't know how to say it a lot of times I think yeah you don't want to be one of those people that just says the same thing over and over and over again but me it's kind of like yeah I've uh, I've prayed for that okay <laughs> now what I I have a mentor that I email every night and let him know how my prayer life and such is going but I say some days I can say my prayers and they could be said in less than a minute because, frankly, there's not much, and there can be some days that I'm so caught up in one of my own situations that that's all that I can pray for at the time, because I I have such a hard time expanding my focus beyond that, and when people talk to me sometimes about having a rich and powerful prayer life and experiencing the presence of God and such, I find it extremely difficult to relate to that. Yeah, I do. Because mm-hmm. mostly I'll be like, did I say that right? Did I use the words? Because often, especially when I'm reading the Bible and uh, it's got all these like, um, I was reading, uh, I've, been, I've actually been reading some of the Old Testament Apocrypha, actually, the Maccabees, and so it's, so the prayers that they use, it's like so extravagant and like amazing, and I'm like, I can't think of stuff to say like that. Mm. Yeah. 
I mean, at the same time, I look at those prayers and think, those prayers are awfully short. How is it some people have prayer sessions that last two or three hours? Which I, I, I don't understand that. I can't relate to that mm. at all. The, the longest prayers I most normally have are when Ari and I pray together in the evening. Although she has said that she's noticed that I'm improving. And I think a lot of it has to do with reading a Tim Carroll's book on prayer because... Tim Carroll didn't have a lot of stuff that I consider to be fluffy nonsense. I mean, none of the stuff I, I don't think has any biblical merits. It's just, just wait and see what God says back to you. I, I don't see that in the Bible, sorry, and I can't relate to that because me, that's giving divine authority my feelings, and as an Aspie, I have a hard enough time studying, understanding those feelings anyway. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to Bible study for me, usually my reading is I read a chapter in the morning of the Old Testament and then a chapter of the New Testament. Right? And I try to read Bible straight through, so right now I'm in the Old Testament, so I'll just do something more random in the New Testament and then. Before I go to bed at night, I read a couple of verses of the Psalms and try to think about those evening. And usually, that that will cover me. I, I I can't really say I'm this kind of person who sits down and opens up a text of scripture and studies it for an hour or so, trying to find out what's going on. Hmm. And how about when? you at church, for instance. And I, I find, for instance, when I'm at church, usually the, the time where you're supposed to stand up and greet each other, that can be okay. Sometimes that can be awkward. And the music, while music can be alright, many times I've jokingly said, you know, some of my favorite words to hear are, you may now be seated. <laughs> I'd rather sit down and just hear the sermon and have that go because I, I I can sometimes find it really hard to connect with a lot of the music today I mean, which it's just really sad because you give me a Final Fantasy song and I can easily connect with that give me a church song and it's very difficult well at the church I go to they think they use a lot of old hymns mm-hmm. which I which I which, See, I don't know, I often, sometimes I feel like I'm too harsh on, con- I think, contemporary Christian worship, but sometimes I think, no, it's, 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 it's not that, you know, the people, it's not that their, um, their heart's in the right place, but it's like the music's too kind of fluffy, mm-hmm. the words aren't, like, really fluffy, or some of the old hymns, it's kind of like, you know, it's pretty, you bog standard, um, your standard, uh, kind of like, organ or piano, like music, which is kind of like really, I guess. Well, it, it sounds like your stereotypical church music, mm. like, and then obviously the words are like pretty. I don't know. I often find they're more powerful and uplifting than uh, a lot of the uh, older, I mean, the newer uh, stuff. I would relate to that entirely. I much more prefer the old hymns, and I prefer it because there's often very good theology and intellectual stuff and a lot of the new stuff today it seems like it, it's it's all about me 
Yeah, 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 it's too self-orientated. Uh, there's this um, uh, I mean, I've, I've got a few friends who are like um, who who um, who belong to uh, either the I've got a friend who's a Roman Catholic, and I've got a fr- I've got a few friends who are. Eastern Orthodox, and they were joking about about how obviously those two traditions have got a lot of great hymns and church music, mm-hmm. and they were jo- and then uh, they were joking about how um, a lot of modern contemporary songs are just like how they, the one of them posted a video to um, this uh, this uh, Christian band. I think they're called Sunseed. And then they had this song called "Jesus Is My Friend," and it was just so, so bad. Mm. <laughs> yeah. At this point, before I say anything more about music, I'd like to remind everyone that you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast, uh, coming to you from my office here in Knoxville, Tennessee. I do everything that I do right out of my home, and I can remind you that everything we do here it is supported by listeners like you and I think we really need that support and, you know, I, I've found it wonderful to see the support going for places like Memories Pizza and such day and that tells me that we can do this kind of thing the apologetics ministries we're the ones that are out front taking the bullets and such and fighting those battles and we could really use your support to help make sure these batters are one. Now, if you want to do that, you can go to the website at a deeperwaters.ddns.net and there's a donate button there. You click that, that will take you to the Ministry of Risen Jesus. You have gone to the right place. Just make your donation and then email me or email Debbie Lacona and say, hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. And we will make sure you get your donation, and it will be tax deductible. And also, you can purchase some ebooks that we have. The last one that I've written directly is called A Creed for the Ages. It's a look at the Apostles' Creed from an apologetics perspective. And most recently, in fact, this past week, J.P. Holding and I came out with one together called Groundless, which is a critique of Dan Barker from the Freedom of Religion Foundation. And I think about 30% of every purchase there will go to Deeper Waters. So if you can purchase these books and, in fact, leave some positive reviews, that'd be great. And if you like the podcast also, and I hope you do, and if if you're not, why are you listening? But <laughs> if you like the podcast, please consider going to iTunes and leaving a really positive review. I am just thrilled to see those kinds of things. It it gives me such encouragement to know people are listening to and liking the show. Um, Dan, do you have uh, any or- charity organization over there that you'd like people to support? Uh, not off the top of my head, no. I okay. don't know. I mean, see, I, I, I don't really donate a lot to charity at the moment because yeah. I'm too poor. Yeah. So I'm like, uh, I don't know. Obviously, your ministry. Uh, uh, obviously, JP Holdings got a good one. At tectonics.org. 
Yeah, that's a good one. Obviously, you know, well, well, uh, I don't know really. Oh. Well, that's fine. Right, when we get to the uh, music thing, thing, I think I mentioned that Holy 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 is one of the hymns that just leaves me in awe. But so much of the music I find it is indeed self-centered and all about me and my experience. And Ari can unfortunately complain that curse. Sometimes she will download some contemporary songs and this and that. They're not all bad. I'll say that. Yeah. There's some stuff that comes out that's good. But I'll listen to it and I'll say, um, do you really hear the position that's being said here? And some just say, Roy, thanks for ruining this song for me. <laughs> I, I, I can't help it. I have to say something when I hear really bad theology. And I, I, I will say it, it, it does rub off some. Allie does notice the theology a, a whole lot more now than Because yeah, obviously with worship it's not just about enjoying the song it's about actually praising God so it's like that is important. If it was just about the music then I wouldn't listen to, well I'd probably listen to the older church hymns because I for some reason, well I like a lot of Baroque and music. Yeah. For example, and then there's a good one by there's a good church bit of church music by Bach, a Miserere. I think it's Bach. No, it might be someone else. I think I'm misremembering it now. I should know this off by heart. But uh, it's a Miserere Mei Deus. That's a really good one. Mm. It's just it's based on one of the Psalms. Yeah, the the problem I find with so much uh, about self-centered music is that, especially on the spectrum. I already think about myself way too much as it is. I don't need my music adding to that. I mean, we've got, uh, in fact, a commercial that can come on or a car dealership around here, and Ali knows I hate it because it means it says, well, it's all about you. I mean, yep, that's exactly what our message ne- needs in our, in our world here because, hey, we, we definitely need more places that are just focused on us. That's what we all want. Mm. Yeah, that's why I like the song. It's a song. Uh, was it G- called "Jesus"? It's all about you. Because that's, that's like, yeah, it's not self-centered. I, I remember driving past the church a few times this week and seeing a sign and said, "More about Jesus and less about me." Like, yes, mm. exactly. That's the way that it should be, and I was getting to teach some people this week, and I said, you know, we've made it that Christianity is all about the forgiveness of sins. That's good. That's wonderful. Forgiveness of sins is part of it. It's certainly very important, but something that we leave out is that whenever we're claiming to be Christians, we're claiming that Jesus Christ is King. And it's not what is he going to do in our lives. The question is, what are we going to do in his life? Mm. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Mm-hmm. And I, I take it you also find it really important that the ministers that you hear are very, very much informed on what they're yeah. talking about. Yeah, that's why, because uh, the ice. Uh, <laughs> I was unfortunately both of my parents used to go to um uh Pentecostal 
church, which obviously uh, a few disagreeable pieces of theology. Mm. But for the most, I don't know, but for the one we did go to, it was, it was surprisingly theologically uh, accurate for a Pentecostal church. But then, but then as I got older, um, and uh, fortunately my, my dad doesn't go to that church anymore. He goes to the same church I do. Mm. We used to go to this... Uh, and then we slowly got dissatisfied with it because there was a new pastor who came on who was kind of a bit and so we start, and the church we go to now the pastor there is very much informed about various theological issues so it's very good and it's very Christ centred too that's the important thing yeah. at our church we were we found one because we were looking for a new one and I really liked the contemporary style of worship which is fine with me I mean, I prefer traditional, but I'm not going to divide over it. Mm. Uh, so we uh, put in contemporary Christian church, and I wanted to get something more intellectual as well. So I put that, put something in it indicating that, and I found a church, and as listeners will show know, it's called The Point, which met at a movie theater in West Knoxville, and still does. And I said, okay, I'm going to go check this out. And I really liked it the first time I went by myself and said, Allie, you have to come here. I said, I'm going to give it one chance and that's it. Now she doesn't want to do anything apart from a church because it's that good. And we've got mm. a few things. One thing that we do that we really like, you know, I especially like, is they have something come up at the beginning of a sermon. Since we're me- meeting in a movie theater, it pops on the screen and we come out and say, Hey, if you have a question about something, not even it doesn't even have to be related to a sermon. If you have a question about something <clears throat> during the service, text it in to this number, and we will come out at the end of the service and answer your question. And I'm thinking, wow, you're allowed to do that in church? You're a church that's actually doing that, answering questions? That's incredible. Me and mm. I know I'm ready to cheer many times when they come out and play this promotional video at about at our church and like, we won't be perfect, we won't do such and such and he says we're in at one point says we are a bunch of people simply coming together united on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, and by the way, at our church we actually believe that happens. And I see what that, Yes, I'm ready to cheer at this point. Glory <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, we've found a church that's Christ-centered. It meets my intellectual needs, and it meets Audi's worship needs, because she gets something out of a sermon as well, and I get something intellectual. And it's very hard to picture a sermon that pleases both of us, because generally, when I've gone to churches, I've heard this stuff so much that I'm sitting there and my mind's just things and like, I wonder what Final Fantasy game I could play when I get home. <laughs> I, I've heard it all and it's being told so simplistically. Or a few times when we were church hunting and I heard preachers, they could have been two to three times my age and they were doing terrible jobs up there and I would have to put her hand on my leg and say stay calm stay calm 
because I'm about to explode. I mean, they, this one guy, he talked about a friend of his who died, and he said, and right now, he is walking on those streets of gold. No. No. He's not. His body is still there. Don't go this way on me. <laughs> yeah. What do you think also went with churches when there, there can be that difficulty that sometimes churches don't always know how to relate best to people who are on the spectrum because a lot of times things they'd say like, go forward, greet new people, things like that. That mm. kind of thing would terrify me in most cases. So what do you think the church should know about relating to people like us? Uh, that we, well, that, that they should know about people with Asperger's. They should know that we're not overly keen about, well, his thing that my church that the church I go to used to do that used to get on my nerves and at the, they, the, that it would be the end of the, the day uh, not the day the, the the service and then they go and then they do this thing where they they go we'll now conclude with uh, fellowship of of of, the, of something or other and then they expect us all to look around at each other and shake each other's hands and I just wouldn't like that at all and uh I don't know What's, although I think and then Kelly's church in San Antonio did a similar thing although it wasn't that bad it wasn't as bad I think but uh they should know that we don't really like I guess uh I'm trying to see I'm trying I know what it is I want to say I just can't think of how to phrase it uh, well, I don't know. I can't think of an appropriate word. But they should know that we don't like uh, intimate connections. Yeah, I say I was going to say intimacy, but then I thought that implies a bunch of different things. Yeah. So I was like, uh, <laughs> yeah, being very like, well, they should know that it takes a while for us to warm up to people. Right. <laughs> Like, yeah, like if, for example, if they expect me to just be like, all chummy chummy, well, I'll be polite to people at church because I know they're more likely to be decent people, but mm -hmm. at the same time, I'm not going to be like your best friend immediately. Yeah. Uh, what what uh, Ari and I have said being on the spectrum is it takes some time for you to get into our world, but once we know who you are, and now we can trust you. We can be as loyal as dogs at that yeah. point. I mean, we were at crawl for a file, but if you violate that trust, we would take that very seriously. Trust is huge for us. Yeah, I had this one person that I was. I was, see, there's this person who was friends with me for quite some time, All right? And obviously, you know, they were good friends, so it's like, okay, I'll take. Like as you say, we take trust very seriously, and then like, and then they they obviously for for some reason decided that they didn't want to be friends anymore, but they didn't tell me. And then when I was, and then when I they finally said, yeah, I don't really like you, and then they thought it was. It was what.
Hello? Um, Dan? Okay, sorry everyone, we've uh, had some technical difficulties going on here. We're, we're trying to get this fixed as soon as we can. Here. Uh, <clears throat> I, I don't know what's happened. But for now, I, I really hope that this kind of thing has been informative. None of this stuff is being planned. At the moment, we're just speaking off the cuff. And sounds of it can seem like we're having a hard time with some things. Well, that's, that's the way it is on the spectrum. On the spectrum, we can have a hard time getting people to get our social cues from anywhere else, being movies, television, what we see in our society around us, etc. Because we tend to not know how to do this ourselves. But you were talking about a friend of yours, and she didn't want to be friends anymore. So what happened? Yeah, it was kind of strange. Basically, they... Because, uh, obviously, you were also talking about how people on the spectrum take trust and friendship very seriously. Mm -hmm. So this is someone who had... Uh, the, who, had, who had initiated the friendship with me and we've been friends for like quite some time and it, bearing in mind right I thought okay we're friends and obviously this person didn't think we were that close friends even though we would talk pretty much almost every day uh, and uh, they just decided that they didn't want to be friends anymore and they basically implied that I was acting as though we were closer friends than we in fact were, which puzzled me because I obviously thought we were that, you know, reasonably close friends. And uh, uh, they decided that I was acting as though we were closer friends than we were, and they decided that I was uh, being we I was weird because I was, you know, taking the friendship to quote well, too seriously, I guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, what happened? I didn't find this out though until like a year later. Bearing in mind, see, at the time they just cut communication with me completely and didn't bother explaining it to me. And then because I was, and then I was like, and then they implied that I was weird for 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 being for taking that seriously, mm -hmm. for taking that. The, so it's kind of very strange. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that kind of thing happened. Hold on a second, if you don't know how to handle changes in a relationship, particularly negative changes, very well. Mm. Now, one other aspect I was about, because, you know, about having like a time of fellowship and such, we're all supposed to meet and greet. And for me, if, I, if I'm involved in that, I can, you know, tolerate shaking hands with someone. But that's usually about as far as I want to go. And if you want to give me a pat on the back, well, I already encourages people, please don't do that. My husband has scoliosis. It's not a pleasant sensation for him. Mm. Or a hug or something like that. that can, if I don't really know you well, that can be extremely off-putting for me. And Jimmy, the only person I really like to have touch me at all is Allie. I mean, many times I don't care for touch if I'm with Allie. Then that that's different. But other than that, I'm not a touch guy. Mm. 
See, I can do shaking hands. Yeah, same here. But yeah, you get. You get I don't. I don't like it when people get too. I guess too chummy or too friend, overly uh, physical. It yeah. puts me off. One other thing I was thinking about that I know it's very different for Ali and I on the spectrum, and seeing if you're the same way, maybe is that our diets tend to be very unique on the spectrum. We are extremely finicky with what we eat and with what we don't eat. Uh, I used to be a lot a very picky eater. Mm-hmm. I guess I still... My, I guess, I don't know, my mum still tells me I'm a fussy eater even now, although mm-hmm. I eat a lot more things that I, uh, when I was younger, wouldn't have eaten at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a few things I'm very particular about. I absolutely hate mushrooms, like to the point where I just I'll pick uh, so like if you put mushrooms in something I either A won't eat it or I'll deliberately pick every single one out meticulously mm-hmm. just can't handle the texture or the taste mm-hmm. yeah Ali is someone she's very very texture oriented and for me I'm very sight oriented with a lot of these things I mean if she finishes a plate and she, like even if it's a paper plate and she won't ask, can you just take this to the trash for me? If I do that, and if it's even got a crumb on it, I just honestly can't bear looking. It's just crumbs. Like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I, I don't care if it's just crumbs. Not. I don't want to look. Yeah. And I, my, my diet's gotten a whole lot less finicky ever since I came... I mean, my my old roommate David was said that I had pizza some most every night for dinner when we were roommates, and now I don't even keep any for myself in the freezer. We'll get a pizza like once a week or so, and that's it. That that's enough for me because I've expanded my taste enough being around Ali that. Uh, I can handle better things, and one of the main reasons is because I wanted to be an even better example for her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about, also we can say, I'm not sure how often this comes up, but if you are frightened of something on the spectrum, I find for me that my fears usually become very, very dominating I mean, we went to see some friends of hers last Saturday for a sort of brunch event that she had with women at the church and we were going there and there are, it was on the third level of this apartment building and there were steps that you had to take up and these were steps that in between each step you could see down to the floor and such below and that left me absolutely terrified. And the first time, I couldn't even go up all the steps all the way. I had to go up by myself and say, Yeah, we're at the right place, and let me know. And I went back to the car and got some stuff and thought, Yeah, you know, I'm not going to be a coward here. I deserve to just push myself up to go all the way up there. But... When it came to some fear like that, that fear can be absolutely controlling. Yeah, I don't like heights. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not so much I'm afraid of heights, it's just that I, t- I have a fear of falling. Yes. 
and it's very uh, easy it, to visualize it. Yeah, and it's just like uh, I remember when I was in um, mm. uh, middle school, mm. they took us to this uh, like I guess it's kind of like a it's kind of like um well it's basically for outside activities and one of them was abseiling down this thirty foot thing which. What is that exactly? Abseiling. So imagine like a vertical surface. You'll climb to the top of it, and then you'll be attached to a rope, and then you have to shimmy down it. I think I prefer not imagining that thing. Yeah, to say. And then I was just I couldn't look. And then there's another one where we were on a zip slide, but again, it was quite high off the ground. And even though, uh, and then there's a moment where they just attached it, and then. Uh, they were explaining this. They explained it to you that one, when they first attached the harness to the thing, it starts pulling you. And there was a brief moment before I was on the zip slide where it was pulling me, and I was absolutely terrified. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interestingly enough, I'm not really afraid of flying. Yeah, I I was initially see the, when I first I first flew on an aeroplane when I first went to see Kelly. Right. And I'm not afraid of flying. I'm afraid... The only thing about the flying experience I didn't like was taking off and, and landing, but that's purely because it made me feel a bit weird. Because mm-hmm. it's kind of that... Especially when landing, it was like... It, the plane will do all these weird angles and you get, like, jolted to certain sides and it's all like... That makes me feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I guess it's more. I guess I'm more nervous than actually afraid. Yeah. And then when I was taking off, it kind of was shaking a bit. It's like, oh. but then as soon as, but in air, even though, you know, thousands upon like like twenty thousand feet in the air, maybe or however high it is, I'm fine. I'm like looking at the window. I'm like, oh look at all those clouds. Oh yeah. But if, but if it's like a tall building or like there's an or I'm on the edge of like a tall building or tall surface, I'll be absolutely petrified. But on the plane, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I also don't like see. What it's weird. I can go outside in the dark at, at night and be fine. I but when I'm trying to sleep, I absolutely can't. I absolutely hate the dark. Mm-hmm. Like I can't really makes me nervous. If I've got another fear that makes me nervous, at kind of like that it's actually water which is weird because Ali and I did go to the beach together on our honeymoon but I don't get out deep in water I say it's because when I was young and I went to the beach the undertow decided to say hello to me and I didn't really enjoy the conversation and Ali uh, has tried to get me to go out and do more things on water but one of these first times when we went to a pool together and she was trying to get me to just walk over to say the five foot section even with holding on to the edge three times during that first time I remember I asked her if she'd taken out a life insurance policy on me lately because I was honestly that terrified and I I hate to think about it because I can say yeah you know I try to be this rational intelligent person all the time to think accordingly and then when I get in a scary situation such as for water I just lose it entirely it everything just goes right out the window yeah 
I don't know, I, I've tried controlling my fears. It's, it's not that hard. Well, it's gotten easier, but it's still kind of hard. Mm. Yeah, the, the main thing that gets me to try and manage them a lot more, as I say, I don't want Ari to be afraid of things. And she doesn't deserve a coward. So I am going to push myself. Because on the spectrum, when you have a relationship with a person, you can be extremely devoted to them. And I, I, I still remember being in the, in New Orleans, and Gary Habermas was there also, and he and I and Tim McGrew and I were having a conversation a few hours in a dinner room, and someone brought up uh, B.D. Warfield and saying that his wife got struck by lightning on their honeymoon and she was paralyzed and he was faithful to her and took care of her the rest of his life. And Gary heard that and said, So Nick, something like that happened to Ari, would you do that? And before I could say anything, you know, trying to think of the thing to say, Tim McGrew jumped in immediately and said, He absolutely would. Well, I went up to Tim later on and privately thanked him for that and he, he gave me the compliment I remember most, so much so it's the only one I remember, he said, Nick, you absolutely adore Audi, and everyone here can see that. Mm. It's not just being a good husband, it's being that everyone knows that yeah. I devoted to her. Indeed. Do, do you get that, <clears throat> is that kind of thing that you try to do in public as well to make sure that everyone knows, for instance, that you are devoted to Kelly. Uh, I don't know. I tend not, we didn't, I don't know, I tend not to go out, we go out much, mm. but, yeah, I go, oh, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, my mum knows, and my, and my family know. Mm. That's good enough for me, yeah. Mm. And, and, and our own family, it's, pretty much learned that if anyone does something that I don't think is right against Ari, I'll let them know. Even when we were engaged and we are talking about how relationships will go, I mean, Debbie said, because I was kind of worried that I'd be, have too much of a relationship with my own mother, and she told Ari, said, there will come a time when he has to choose you over her. And he will choose you, and he will stick with you, and he will defend you. And those times have come. I mean, I've even had times where I've spoken to Mike and Debbie and said, I don't think you're doing Ally right, and I think this needs to change, and here's what needs to change. I'm just that fiercely devoted. I don't sell for anyone doing what I think is wrong to Ally. Mm. I think on the, spe- on the spectrum we have a huge drive for justice. Indeed. Well, we've uh, had ourselves an interesting conversation. We could have spent a lot of time talking about justice, but we're getting near to the uh, end of our show now. Uh, and we've talked some about apologetics here as well. And you got a place on the web where people can come and find out more about you, don't you? Uh, well, I've got a blog. Yeah. Well, I, and so I guess they could find me there. Mm-hmm. So, it's a blog spot or one. It's religious yet sane. Dot, which is all one word. Mm-hmm. Uh, dot, 
Uh, I think it's. Hang on, I, I need to. I, I always forget the um, how it ends because they keep changing. They used to change it. Hang on. Dot. I think it's dot. Yeah. Dot blogspot. Dot co. Dot uk. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's something that's probably a mystery that's a lot of people. But you're religious and sane at the same time. Yeah. You feel the need to point that out to people. It goes, mm-hmm. oh. <laughs> like you know, it was funny when people people I've met, I've met and then become friends with and they 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 oh they find out that you you know you believe in God they're like really you like yeah mm-hmm. now is is there any final message about Asperger's or projects or anything like that that you'd like to leave for the deeper writers audience today um. Apologetics is good. You should all do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree entirely. Yeah. Okay, well, if that's it, then I'd like to thank you for coming on. Maybe we can do something like this again sometime. Yeah, that'll be good. Yeah, for now, uh, I'm Nick Peters, and I'd like to remind you all that uh, next week, Sarah Ankerman is coming on. We're going to talk about motherhood, autism, and apologetics. For now, I am Nick Peters.